the King of glory passes on his way, and that should encourage every one of our hearts. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 5, or you can look on the back of your sermon outline and you can see our scripture texts before you. These are the Beatitudes of Jesus. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to them, to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And now today's text. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So far the reading of God's word. This is the climax of the Beatitudes. And if you're our guest today, we've been with Jesus as the disciples have flocked to him in huge crowds. And he begins to teach them. And it is so beautiful, one after another. A sense of life lived before the face of God. And it's a beautiful life. And then, I don't know about you, but he puzzles me. As he comes to the climax. And he circles back to where he began in the first beatitude, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here in this last one, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But who are they? Who have the kingdom of heaven? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's a puzzle to me. Because if you have people who are poor in spirit, what does that mean? They're humble. And people who mourn, mourn over their sin, and and, and they're actually repenting of their sins and turning, turning from it to live a new life. And you have people who are meek, you know, the sort of gentle people that are safe to be with, the strength under control. And you have people who are pure in heart, peacemakers, they love peace then wouldn't you think that everybody's going to love them? (laughs) Everybody's going to receive them with great joy. Those are the kind of people that would especially be welcome in the world. 
But Jesus says, not only here, but in many places, it's not so. He warns us it's not going to be that way. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's going to happen. And as you can see, other passages of Scripture that I've listed on the back of your program, a very important parallel passage, John 15, verse 20, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And what we find in the Bible is, again, something that might make you a little uncomfortable. But it seems clear again and again that true believers are not the most popular people in the world. What, what makes people annoyed with believers? People get annoyed with you if you're eager to witness about your faith. People scratch their head and think you're a little off when you talk about how you love the Lord in your heart. People feel offended and judged if you don't join in their sin and certain practices that they do, and, and you, you decide you're not going to do that because of it doesn't seem the right thing to do. And people say, well, who are you to judge me? You didn't mean to, you didn't judge them. You just, well, for righteousness sake, you decided not to participate, and, and they got all bent out of shape over it. They even think you're dangerous. It's so funny. There are people I know who think that my wife Nina and I are dangerous people. It's so strange to me. There may be people who feel the same way about you. Now, in our country, we are protected. I love America. I love living in a country with a constitution that guarantees us freedom of religion and freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and and I think it's important to have those laws in place, whatever your religion might be. I'm, I'm glad that we can live here, but you know it's not the same in all the nations of the world. If you read the reflection in your program today, I just have a report from Jamie Dean in, in Egypt. In Egypt right now, this is a hard time to be a Christian. You've seen the Arab Spring and the world is celebrating that, but what he writes is, look at it with me, the Christian minority faces enormous difficulties in Egypt. Public evangelism is forbidden. Changing the designation from Islam to Christianity on your national identity card is forbidden. Discrimination in the workplace is common. Social scorn is an ongoing reality in some areas. And beyond the hassles, Christians have faced violence. Terrorists bombed the Coptic All Saints Church in Alexandria in 2011, killing 23 congregants, leaving a New Year's Eve service. The growing Islamist power has compounded ongoing fears and sent thousands of Christians fleeing Egypt. In conversations with dozens of evangelicals in Cairo and Alexandria, many told me they knew dozens of Christians who had left the country and said more were contemplating a move. Yet... As this reporter says, members of the Nasser City Evangelical Church continue their longtime efforts to serve their neighborhood. Worship services are packed. 
The church continues to host a medical clinic, a dentist's office, a lab, dialysis machines, doctors from the church volunteer, and the clinics offer treatment to all members of the community, including Muslims. Jesus says persecution is a fact of life for the church. Three things you'll see in your outline. First of all, God's people have always been persecuted. Secondly, God's Son was persecuted. And thirdly, God's people will always be persecuted. And we have to figure out how we're going to respond when it happens. So point number one, I just take right out of verse 12, for Jesus says, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who do you think Jesus is talking about there? Who's he referring to? Maybe he's thinking all the way back to Cain and Abel, where Cain got angry with Abel for his righteousness and killed him. Maybe he's thinking of Jeremiah. If you know the story of Jeremiah, they took him and they threw him down into a muddy, stinking, dark pit because of his prophecies. But I think, I think maybe Jesus had in mind that story in 1 Kings 18, and some of you studied that in the adult Sunday school uh, this year, as the wicked King Ahab and his wife, does anyone remember the wife of Ahab? Jezebel was filled with fury against the prophets and the sons of the prophets, so much so that Obadiah takes a hundred of the prophets and hides fifty of them in this cave and fifty in that cave as Jezebel is sending her thugs and murderers out after them. But she has her sight set on one prophet. Who is that? Elijah. And she's filled with scorn and contempt for Elijah and vows that he shall die. And so many of the prophets were put to death. There's been persecution of God's people through the centuries. The communists in Russia tried to stomp out the church. Mao Zedong and the Chinese Revolution sought to destroy the church. Paul Pot in Cambodia sought to destroy the church. And more people have been killed for their faith in the last hundred years than all the centuries put together. But Jesus offers an explanation for this, and this is point number two. Jesus says you are blessed when you are persecuted because you are persecuted because of me. And this is important for us to understand because in a very real sense, it was not about the prophets, and it's not about you. And in a very real sense, it's not about me. The strange thing is that Jesus says... If you're half awake, you will discover that it's about me, says Jesus. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, he said, they will persecute you also. But they will persecute you is almost an afterthought. Jesus is making it clear that though he is the Son of God and has rightful claim as King of kings and Lord of lords, the wicked will seek and they will accomplish his destruction. Every time I read through the the Gospel of Matthew, 
I don't know about you, but I get to chapter 21 in Matthew where there's that parable of the tenants in the vineyard. And I am just astounded that Jesus dares to tell this parable. Do you know that parable? He says, listen to another parable. There was a landover, landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press, built a watchtower, and he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Who do you think those first servants represent? Those are the prophets, you see, the prophets of old. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Wow, Jesus. We're reading the script in advance here, aren't we? And when the church is persecuted, who is really being persecuted? Do you know the story of Saul of Tarsus who, who was, was murdering Christians and throwing them in prison and feeling so good about himself for his righteous crushing of the church? And then one day he's on his horse. Off to Damascus he goes and boom, the light hits him. And he tumbles and buries his face in the dust and And he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Wait a minute, I thought Saul was persecuting the church. But you see, we're seeing behind the scenes here. I want you to get this. This is important for us to understand, to get perspective. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So the point is, ultimately, it is about him, and nobody is neutral when it comes to Jesus. This is an uncomfortable truth. Nobody's neutral when it comes to Jesus. Why is that? It's because Jesus is too powerful a figure for anybody to ignore for anybody to be indifferent to, not when they see him for who he is. And once you understand his claim to lordship over your life, once you understand his exclusive claim as king of kings and lord of lords, as the Messiah, as the savior of the world, then there really are only two choices. One is to bow, to worship, to acknowledge you need a Savior and to receive a Savior and to know the Savior and to live for the Savior. And the other is to say, no thanks, not interested, don't want it. Who do you think you are claiming lordship over my life? 
I'll have none of this. And you resent him. And you rebel against his kingly claims. And Jesus was that target. Even on the cross, right? They heaped their insults upon him. He was persecuted even to the very last as they mocked him. Both thieves hurled insults upon him. So God's people have always been persecuted because God's son was persecuted. And now Jesus, in this final beatitude, gives us the uncomfortable message that his people, point three, will always be persecuted. We acknowledge this in our singing and praise earlier in the service. There are so many great things about being a Christian, aren't there? Isn't it fantastic to know that your sins are forgiven? Wow. Isn't it wonderful to have the Bible that that shows us how to live and what to believe and to make sense out of life, to give us a worldview that corresponds with God's reality and reveals who God is? Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful to have a church family, brothers and sisters, who love you and welcome you and accept you Isn't it great to know that when you die, that's not the end. It's not the end. There's heaven to come and glory for eternity. Wow! It's so good to be a Christian. But, according to Jesus, you are also inevitably signed up for persecution for hostility. And he uses three different terms, right? There in the verse he says there's persecution, insults, and all kinds of evil. Wow! You want to put it together. In the lexicons, the word for persecution sometimes means harassment. Sometimes it means they're going to drive you away. Sometimes it means they're going to hunt you down. And the word insults, it just means ridicule. And all sorts of evil, Jesus is just talking about there will be deliberate actions in order to upset and even to hurt you. So with those three terms, Jesus is saying it will be hard. Here now, Philippians 1 verse 29 that captures all I've just said in the last five minutes. For it has been granted to you. What is a grant? A grant is a gift. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And so I ask you today, will you also receive this gift? I'll receive the gift of faith and all the benefits of faith. Thank you. But it has also been granted to you another gift. The grant comes also to suffer for him. And brothers and sisters, North Shore Community Church, I don't know what it will look like in your life or our lives. It will look different for us than for the people in Egypt right now. But, but will you receive this gift as well, this assignment from Jesus as well? And we learn here that Jesus is not just Sweetener. He's not just a little bit of sweet and low that you pour into the bitter cup of your life. Jesus is not, that's not what he's saying, I'm going to be for you. 
Caiaphas. He says, I am the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and I am recapturing a renegade planet, and I'm bringing you on board my activity in this, and it's going to be so exciting to build his church and to plant his church and to evangelize the world and disciple the new believers who come in to the North Shore Community Church. But as we do it, there will be resistance, there will be opposition, and there will be hostility, and I'm just giving you advance notice. It starts in small ways. Mockery. Hostility. We had a teenager stand up here in the front of the church not too many weeks ago. And if you remember, he said, he said, you know, in my high school, we, we learned that this whole universe is, came, around, came about because of chaos and chance. Random chance, just atoms and molecules bumping into each other created all these marvelous life forms. And I happened to say to the teacher and to my classmates that actually it seems to me like there is intelligent design behind all of this order that I see in the universe. And frankly, he said, I like that first verse of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, you'd have thought I was Osama bin Laden. The way they responded with mockery and derision. And, and, um, and, you know, these things happen. Maybe they happen to you at work or in your neighborhood if you were to make a statement like that. But it, it, it can be worse. Even in America, there's the power of bureaucracy that's trying to stop churches from expanding and growing. And there's nothing like the power of the bureaucrat. You know, want to have a Bible study in your home and, and suddenly there's 21 cars in your neighborhood and they invoke the parking rules that say you can't have that many cars in your neighborhood even though they would never stop a, 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 a birthday party or a PTA meeting. But of course, Jesus is saying the situation will be even worse than that. For you see, there are all kinds of of, uh, of hostilities that come. Remember, we have last summer, we prayed for uh, Pastor Yusuf Nardakani, who remains under a death sentence in Iran. For two years, he's been in the prison. And just last month, we received notice that not only is he in prison under a death sentence, but his lawyer in, in May was now sentenced to nine years in prison for violating and threatening national security. And that makes his case a lot worse because his advocate is now not able to function. And there are today and in the last hundred years more people in prison because of their faith in Jesus. And Pastor Martin and his family, they know many who in Korea and in China have suffered. We may not know personally, but some of you may know personally people who have suffered terrible trials for their faith. And the bombings in Nigeria that continue to happen at the hands of Boko Haram. And in Afghanistan, Somalia, the beheading even of teenagers for their faith. Now, Jesus says there's two reasons in our text, right? Two reasons why this happens. You are persecuted for righteousness' sake and because of me. We do have to pay attention here because... If you're obnoxious or you have bad hygiene and nobody wants to sit next to you on the train, that's not persecution. If you're rude, 
and nobody wants to talk to you, that's not persecution. But Jesus does say two reasons. If you adopt the values of the kingdom, if you are identified with me, well then, yes, yes, blessed are you if you are persecuted. You say, oh, that's never happened to me. Well, if you do say you've never been persecuted at all, nobody's ever been hostile or disapproved or mocking of you, then Jesus is saying you are less blessed than the others. Sorry. You're less blessed. Let me give you an assignment. We all hear people who use the name of Jesus Christ as a curse word don't we? In the workplace, in the schools, in our neighborhoods, somebody bangs their thumb with a hammer and what comes out of their mouth? And they use the name of Jesus as a curse word. What could you do? What might you do if you love Jesus Christ? I remember my sister, my, my little sister, Susan, and in the schools, in the, in, the, in the faculty lounge, she would hear people take the name of Jesus in vain, and she would say, excuse me, you know, I have to tell you that every time I hear you use the name of Jesus like that, it's really, it's really hurtful for me. I am a Christian. And you know what it says about the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, and, and that's what you're doing. And I would appreciate very much if you would not use the name of Jesus with such contempt because I really love him. You and I might not be as articulate as my sister Susan in that, but but you kind of get the picture. The next time you hear that, here's your assignment to speak up. And maybe, maybe they'll say, oh, thank you, I appreciate that correction. Sure, not a problem. But that might not be their response. Whatever their response is, well, that's their response. But you, you, you now are out on the, on the edge of the diving board. You're out on the limb, and that's okay. Jesus is calling you to be there. Don't be afraid. One of you told me your father was like that, your dad was like that. He worked for many years for General Motors, and he was told if you would just stop talking about Jesus so much, you would get a promotion. But he didn't care. He wasn't rude, he wasn't obnoxious, but okay, the wall was put up, but he didn't care because his rewards in heaven (laughs) meant a whole lot more than a 4% wage increase to him. I think that's beautiful. So, how do we respond? How should we respond to persecution, insults, all kinds of evil against us because of Jesus? Well, the Bible gives us two voices. It gives you a voice, two voices, really. It gives you a voice when you are persecuted of honest complaint, and it gives you a voice of rejoicing. I want to think about these for a few minutes with you because I want to prepare you. I want you to be equipped. The Bible is very clear. That persecution is not pleasant, and nobody's asking you to be a masochist. Nobody's asking you to say, oh, I enjoy humiliation. In fact, the psalmist, Psalm 42, God, where are you? 
Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go around in the more in mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My foes taunt me all day long, saying to me, Where is your God? The Bible gives you an honest voice. Remember as we studied the Psalms. What are the Psalms? They're eavesdropping, holy eavesdropping on a spirit-inspired response to God. And when the enemies are persecuting and the enemies are mocking and the enemies are taunting, it hurts. And the Bible says, don't put on a plastic smile. Be honest. And yet, Jesus says, rejoice. And the other voice, and they seem contradictory, but you'll see they're not. The other voice is rejoicing. And you remember the example of the apostles before the Sanhedrin, and they were flogged. Does anybody know what flogging is? That's not a common term. It means they were beaten up. They were flogged, and then it says that they were rejoicing. Acts 5.41. They were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And that's the very example for us. And that is how we should feel when, when it happens to us. Not because you enjoy suffering, but for the name, the great name that is above all names. You got to suffer. Why else are you happy about this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it means people are seeing the righteousness of God in you. It's actually getting through. (laughs) It's actually getting through. Wow. This is good. You know, you hear about the secret service Christian. Who's the secret service Christian? The person, well, they never found out I was a Christian. Woo! No, in this case, you have evidence. They, it's actually getting through, even imperfect as you and I are, and we are imperfect, and we are cowards sometimes. Nonetheless, when that arises, you can at least celebrate. You can at least rejoice. Okay, it got through. And Jesus says, you join those prophets of old, and your name gets into that fraternity. Oh, it's better than any sorority, any fraternity that college could offer. And you are listed with Elijah and Elisha and Daniel and Jeremiah and Peter and Paul and Jesus himself. And you join the company of those who took the blows for him. What good company you're in. Rejoice. Rejoice. You're walking with the saints who nobly fought of old. And you win with them the victor's crown of gold. Hallelujah. We just sang it. Oh, may thy soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, fight with the saints who nobly fought of old and win with them the victor's crown of gold. Hallelujah. Yours, Jesus says, is the kingdom of heaven. In the present, right now, oh, Right now, heaven is busting into this world. I love this. I love this. In 1 Peter 4, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Same word Jesus uses in the 8th Beatitude. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Wow. 
heaven. Here. In you. I read a, a, a tribute to the great preacher Richard Sibbs. Here's what this his, one of his the members of his church wrote about him. I think he was a member of his church. He writes, Of this blessed man, let this just praise be given. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? The very air of heaven was in Richard Sibbs long before he was ever in heaven. But, but what Sinclair Ferguson, who quoted this, it was saying is that... Uh, that, that that's true for all Christians, not just the heroes like Richard Sibbs. All Christians have the air of heaven in them. And it burns. Stephen Curtis Chapman has a wonderful song that he writes, and he, he asks this, What is this fire that burns stronger against the wind? I love this quote. What is this fire that burns stronger against the wind? You might have a little campfire, right? You build a campfire, Boy Scouts, you get out there, and it's struggling to stay alive. But then the breeze picks up. Then the opposing wind picks up. And what happens to the fire? The fire burns brighter against the wind. And when persecution and opposition come into your life and against our church and against your friends here, what happens? Your faith begins to shine, and it begins to glow, and it burns even stronger. You have heaven here and now. Blessed are you now, and then blessed are you in the future. For great, and I don't know why Jesus uses this word, but he wants you to hear it. Great is your reward in, in heaven. Some of you say, oh, I'd rather get it now. Can I have it now? Well, you know, what would happen to you if you won the Powerball lottery now? Oh, I could handle it. I, I would be just fine, thanks. Well, we see, because we're still sinners here and now, people can't handle that here and now. But when you get to heaven, Jesus says, Boy, oh boy, are you going to be amazed. Great is your reward. Marvelous is your reward in heaven. It's going to be so fantastic in heaven. And you'll be ready for it because you'll be glorified. And all your sin, all your selfishness, all your pride, all your lust, all your greed will be gone and you will be able to handle great is your reward in heaven. Pastor Nardakani wrote a letter from jail May 7th, just a few weeks ago. He said, I need to remind my beloved ones that though my trial has been so long, and as in the flesh, I wish these days would end, yet I have surrendered myself to God's will. Have you surrendered yourself to God's will? No one is neutral to Jesus Christ. Have you surrendered yourself to the cross of Christ there to find forgiveness of sins? You know, you can do that today. Today, you can say, I, I want that great reward in heaven. I want to be in the company of the saints. Well, today is a day for you to receive Christ.
If you never have, this is a good day for you. Oh, blessings, yes. Persecution, oh, of course. Oh, great. Great is your reward in heaven. The last thing I want to say is that some of you have been scared by this message. Because it is frightening. Certainly our Egyptian friends and our Somali friends and Nigerian Christian friends, they wake up often afraid. Corrie Ten Boom tells a very helpful story when she said as a little girl to her daddy, she said, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me, she writes this, tell me, said Father, when you take a train trip to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for your ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy. You give me the money for the ticket right before we get on the train. That's right, my father said. And so it is with God's strength. Our Father in heaven knows when you will need the strength to be a martyr for Jesus Christ, and he will supply your need just in time. And that's true. For our Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's be ready. Let's pray. And let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Join me now. Bow your heads. Let us pray. Our Father, we do come to you in the name of Jesus, the one who laid down his life for us. And we come to the communion table now, O Lord. And we pray that you will feed us the bread of heaven, the bread of life. And that you will give us, through this feeding, strength today. Strength, O Lord. We want courage and boldness. We do not want to be cowards. We want to be considered worthy of suffering for your name. And so help us now, we pray. Feed us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.